That is like one upbeat bumper, isn't it? I like that a lot. Well, I am so glad you guys are here today. I look around the room and uh, some of your friends that let the rain keep them away, but I am so glad that you guys ventured out and that you're here as we uh, begin this new uh, series today. The Titanic was unsinkable, right? You know, it was the finest ship ever built. It was a work of beauty and strength that had all of the luxuries known to man. But we all know, don't we, that 98 years ago this week, the Titanic sank. We also know why. Because it struck an iceberg. You remember we said in our uh, trivia that seven-eighths of an iceberg is beneath the surface of the water. And often it's the part that's beneath the surface that is most dangerous. That's what the Titanic found out when they struck it. What was beneath the surface tore a hole in the hull of that ship and put it under the water. The same could be said of our lives. What is beneath the surface is often what decides the direction of our lives. I mean, we can make our lives look good, really, really good on the surface. We can uh, fool most of the people most of the time with what's above the surface. But it is what is beneath the surface that often causes our lives to veer off course. And so for the next few weeks, I want to spend some time going beneath the surface, getting down and dealing with some heart issues in our lives. They are issues that, if left undealt with, can sink our lives in our life group. Uh, a few months ago, we were studying our way through the book of Colossians. And when we came to chapter 3 one night, I said to our life group, like there's a whole message series right here in this one book. So i got to tell you, I have to give credit for this series in a sense to our uh, life group. And if we probably hadn't studied that together, I might not have landed on this for a series. And so credit to them. You see, a lot of good stuff happens uh, when you go to life group. And uh, if you're uh, not a part of a life group, I'd encourage you, uh, to get connected. This is the perfect time uh, for you to discover a life group and be connected like that here at Crosspoint. Well, this uh, series, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And so I hope you brought your Bibles today. And uh, if you did, please uh, take them out right now and find your way to Colossians chapter 3. It's about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament part of your Bible. Um, after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. If you get to Thessalonians and Timothy, um, you've gone too far. And I want you to find that and mark it. Let me also uh, say to you, if you don't have a Bible for some reason, um, as you leave today on the tables at the entrances, there are some Bibles. Please uh, pick one up, take it home, make it yours, and when you come back next time, bring it with you so that you can read along with us. I also want to uh, encourage you and challenge you to do something over the course of this series, which is about five weeks in length. I want to challenge you to take a few minutes every week and read through at least once chapter 3 of Colossians. Now, you could probably do it multiple times over the course of the week, but if you would at least, every week during this series, take a few minutes and read Colossians chapter 3 once, that will help get this stuff really deeply into our hearts. In fact, I just want to ask you, how many of you right now would say to me, Jeff, I'll commit during this series to reading Colossians 3 at least once a week? Good, and we have electronically recorded your hand raising now. But, but I will ask you next week and remind you to see how well you're doing. Well, the first two verses of Colossians 3 kind of set the foundation for everything that we'll say over the course of this series. So listen to what Paul writes, Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul starts out by addressing his words to people who are Christ followers. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, which is a 
direct reference to what he wrote in chapter 2 when he wrote this. Having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying you took your old life and you buried it. And then God gave you a new life. And because of that new life, there are some things that should be different in your life. There should be some changes that take place in your life. You should see life differently because of what happened. He, it's the picture of baptism. It's the picture of us getting to that point in life where we accept Jesus' gift of salvation and we are baptized. And in that moment, we, there is this realization that we have done some things in our life that were wrong. That we have done some things in our past that we'd like to get rid of, that we'd like to get away from. And there are some things in our past that have taken us away from God. And so we get to this moment where we recognize all of that. And we decide to accept God's gift of salvation. And then we are baptized. We bury that old life in the waters of baptism. And God promises that when we're lifted up out of that water, we are given a new life. Now, the water is not magical. It's not about the water. It is about the faith promise that you make to Jesus. It's about asking God for a new heart. It's about recognizing your need for salvation and inviting God in. And as a result of that, Paul says, there should be some changes. In a response to God's incredible gift, there should be some things that are different in our lives. Let me make a couple of things really clear. As we go through the course of these few weeks and we look deeply into chapter 3, we're going to talk about a number of things that Paul invites us to change in our lives. And there may be the tendency in some of us to think that as we read those things, that Paul is suggesting that I have to do those things so that I can earn my salvation or so that I can continue to earn my salvation or so that God will love me more or so that I can earn my way to heaven. But that's not the case. You see, God's gift of salvation is very simple. And the way that we accept it is very simple. It simply happens when we get to that point that we recognize our own sin and our need for His grace and we invite Him to be a part of our life. End of story. But what Paul is suggesting here that in response to God's incredible gift of salvation to us, once we have acquired that in our life, in response to that, there should be then some changes and some differences that happen. And so we're going to focus in on those changes and those things that should be different in our lives. Now let me also say this, and hear me on this. Some of you, the minute I said that Paul's words were focused on Christ followers, you immediately thought in your mind, well, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm investigating, but I'm not there yet, so are you saying this doesn't apply to me? I can just tune out for the next few weeks. I'll check back in when you're done with the series. No. Now, I would say to you, the things that we're going to talk about, the the practical things that we'll deal with, the habits and lifestyles that Paul talks about here in Colossians chapter 3 have application to everyone. Any of us, if we would put these things into practice, could improve our lives and in fact could begin to live the kind of life that God created us to enjoy in the first place. So there is plenty here for everyone over the course of these next few weeks. Well, 
we have, uh, in the first 11 verses that we're going to deal with today, Paul uh, talks about cleaning up our lives, about getting rid of some things in our lives. And that's where I want to focus in uh, today and talk about this whole idea that there are some things in our lives that Paul says we need to get rid of. At our offices this week, we have been doing a whole bunch of cleaning. Our uh, new meeting space, 9.5, uh, opens. In fact, we're having an open house for that today. I hope you'll come. And so we've been doing all the finished cleaning on that. In the process, we decided, you know, we probably ought to clean up our offices too. And so we began really cleaning like we haven't done for a long time. And uh, things look a lot better. Um, but as I was thinking about that, I thought that's a great metaphor for what Paul writes about here. So let me, let me point out some truths that are uh, real about cleaning up things. First, when you begin to clean, you've got to picture the right standard. You've got to picture the right standard. Now, here's what I mean by that. I learned a few, several years ago that when I say to my boys, you need to clean your room, they have one standard of what clean is, and I have a different standard of what clean is. And so I learned early on that if I ask them to clean their room, I need to give very clear instructions and paint a clear picture of what the standard of clean is going to be. When we were cleaning our offices this week, we had to have a consistent picture of what the standard of clean would be. God says that when it comes to our lives, in these first few verses, there is a standard that we ought to live by. There is the correct standard that we need to picture in our minds if we're going to clean up our lives. He says it this way again in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul says there is a standard. And the standard is that we need to set our hearts and our minds on things that are above. But here's our struggle. Our struggle is that we have often set our standard based on what we see around us. We set our standard based on what our friends say. Or we have set our standards based on what is popular in our culture, or we have set our standard based on the latest self-improvement book that we've read, or we have based our standard on the latest movie that we saw that touched us. Paul says there is only one standard. And the standard that we need to operate from is by setting our hearts and our minds on the things of God. The things that are above. It's His standard and not any other standard. Now, how do we do that? Well, I can tell you this. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens with great intentionality. I can also tell you this. I'm pretty convinced that living our lives by the standard of God does not happen without a regular diet of God's Word in our individual lives. I mean, let me just tell you, friends, if there was one thing, if there was one thing that I could convince every person at Crosspoint to do on a regular basis, it would be to have a regular daily habit of reading from God's Word. Not so that you'll become a theological expert. Not because you're going to understand everything that you read. Because I believe God wants to place something in your heart for that day 
that will help you to set your heart and your mind on the things that are above. God wants to raise your standard to His standard. But I don't think that happens without us each individually having some responsibility to read from this book, His book. One of my favorite scenes in the movie Apollo 13 is when they are reenacting the process where they have realized that the filtration system in the spacecraft isn't able to handle as many people are in there and that if they don't add some filtration to it, it's going to eventually begin to put poisonous gas back into the modular. And so they bring all these engineers into this room and this guy comes in with a cardboard box of all of these parts and pieces. It looks like a bunch of junk, really. And he pours it out on the table and he says, this is what they have to work with. Somebody figure out how to fix the filtration system. You know, and in our lives, our filtering system needs some attention at times. Because rather than filtering our lives through God's filter and through His Word, we have filtered our lives through everything that's around us. And that filtering system doesn't work. In fact, if we continue to use that filtering system, what it eventually does is begins to pump spiritual poison right back into our lives. But we need to filter our lives through the standard of God's Word. And because we have had this wrong filtering system, a lot of us honestly have accumulated some junk in our lives. And here's the second lesson from cleaning. At some point when you clean, you've got to remove the trash. You've got to get rid of the junk. We discovered at our offices this week that in four plus years of being in the same office, we have accumulated a lot of junk. In fact, enough to fill one of those... uh, garbage dumpsters at a business place, we filled it one and a half times this week with just stuff that we have accumulated that we realize we don't need this anymore. Let's get rid of it. You know what? Our office, suddenly it is so much bigger. We have all this space that we didn't even realize, I think, anymore. All kinds of space. Because we got rid of stuff, we threw out the trash. And Paul says in these next few verses, beginning in verse 5, there is some trash that we've accumulated, some of us, in our lives, and it needs to go in the dumpster. Here's what he says. Some of this is a bit uncomfortable for us to read, probably. He says this, Put to death, therefore, or throw it out, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. And the term that's used there speaks specifically of any kind of sexual relationship that happens outside of the bonds of marriage. Get rid of impurity. The words that are used there are where we get our term pornography. And it's that idea of feeding our minds with sexual material that creates an impurity in us. Lust. Which is the idea of of allowing sexual thoughts to be in our minds and to think sexual thoughts about other people that are not our spouse. Evil desires. Having desires for things that don't bring honor to God. Greed. A desire for more and more and more of things, which Paul says is idolatry. Because of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, which is that constant feeling of being angry that we carry inside of us. Rage, which is often the living out of that anger that we've been holding with inside. Malice, 
which is the idea of carrying around a hatred or a bitterness towards other people. Slander, which is verbally tearing apart through our gossip or through our words the name and the reputation of somebody else. And filthy language from your lips. Language that isn't pleasing to God. Whether that be cursing or innuendos or sexual talk. Do not lie to each other. That one's pretty clear. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its Creator. Now, I know here's what your immediate reaction is for some of you when you hear that. For some of you, you immediately think, oh great, yeah, there's just another big list of all the things that God doesn't want me to do. You know, God's just all about rules and regulations and all He wants to do is rob me of my freedom and take away my joy and make my life miserable. It's just another list of don't do this. That's what Christianity is all about. Let me tell you though, as a parent, we have a lot of rules or standards at our house. And as I think about those rules and standards, I cannot think of one rule or standard that Peg and I have ever made for our boys out of a sense of we're going to take their joy away, we're going to make their life miserable. Every rule that we that I know of that we have ever made at our house is for their protection and to help them become godly young men. It is for their benefit and for the health of our family. Now let me ask you, do you think a loving God would do any less for us? God's rules are not so that He can take away our freedom or our joy or make our lives miserable. God has placed boundaries in our lives for our protection, for our benefit. So actually that we can live in joy. He wants to protect us. Imagine that there was an airline pilot uh, uh, that invited you to go up in his little plane. And he was going to fly you around uh, Lee County here and just give you a, a, a view of everything from the air. So you, you accept his offer and this afternoon, you well, probably not today in this weather, but tomorrow when it's nice again, you, you get in his plane and you get up to eight or 9,000 feet and then you say to the pilot, you know, how would it be if I opened the door? I'd, I'd just like to be able to open the door and and see what happens. And he would say to you, no, you can't do that. That's, that's against the rules. That's not safe. It'll cause the plane to be out of balance. But you don't pay any attention. You just fling that door open. And uh, you're flying along a little farther and you say, you know, I think I'm going to take my seatbelt off. And he says, no, that's against the rules. You've got to keep your seatbelt on for your own safety. And you say, no, I'm going to take it off. I'm going to slide over here so I can get a better view. Then you say, you know, I, I think I'm going to lean my head out of the airplane because I want to feel that breeze. And that would be some breeze, by the way. And he says, no, you can't do that for your own safety. That's dangerous. Stay in the plane. But you don't pay any attention. You slide over there. You stick your head out. And then the plane jostles for a minute. And the next thing you know, you're falling towards the ground. Now, do you think as you're falling towards the ground, you would think to yourself, well, you know that pilot, he just had a whole bunch of rules. He was trying to rob my joy and my freedom on this plane. You know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why you had to be all about rules and regulations. Why you wouldn't just let me do my own thing as you're falling towards your death? No, you wouldn't think that, would you? You'd recognize immediately that He asked you not to do those things for your own protection, for your own benefit, for your own safety. 
And when Paul gives us this list here, he speaks for God who says to you, I don't want you to do these things for your own benefit, for your own protection, for your own safety. I'm not trying to rob you of joy or freedom. I am trying to give you boundaries that will protect you. There's a story in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. You've got to go look this story up. There's a guy named Phineas. And in this story, it's during the time that the Israelites have disobeyed God and so He has not allowed them to go into the Promised Land and they're wandering around the wilderness and they have been involved in a lot of sin to the point where God gets so angry with them that He causes a plague to come upon them with the intention to help them repent and turn back to Him. And many of them have begun repenting and turning back to God. But there is this one guy This one guy who does exactly what he knows he's not supposed to. He brings a Midianite woman into the camp and takes her into his tent and he doesn't have good intentions. And Phineas sees what happens and he is roused with godly anger about his sin. And he takes his, the Bible says, he takes his spear into the tent and he drives that spear through both the man and the woman as they were lying together. And God honors Phineas because of his zealousness for God and because of his hatred towards sin. Now some of you, you've got to go home and find that story. I'm telling you, you ought to read your Bible. There's all kinds of incredible stories like that in there. And as you look at this list of Paul's, of these things that he says we ought to remove from our lives that need to go out into the dumpster of our lives, there's probably one thing or maybe more that if you were honest with yourself today, you realize you need to take a spear And you need to drive that spear right through that sin and kill it in your life. You need to get rid of it. Now, how do we do that? Let me suggest five or six simple, practical steps that we could take to begin to eliminate these things from our lives. First, you've got to admit the problem. I mean, it's true in everything, right? As long as you act like these sins that maybe are beneath the surface aren't an issue for you, then you don't do anything about it. It's not until you admit that, you know what, beneath the surface of my life, I'm dealing with one of these. You admit that you're struggling, that you begin to do something. Secondly, you need to pray. Now, I'm not talking about one time I pray for two seconds, God, take it away. I'm talking about repeatedly, day after day, as long as you're struggling with it, you ask God to give you the strength and the courage to eliminate this in your life. Third, you need some accountability. You need to find somebody that you trust. And you need to go to them and tell them that you are struggling with this. Because you know what? As long as you let it stay beneath the surface and nobody knows about it, it's pretty easy just to ignore it. But when you tell somebody, when you bring it to light, when you bring it above the surface, you begin to deal with it. And ask that person to question you occasionally about how you're doing at eliminating that, about how you're doing it, getting it out into the dumpster and leaving it there. Next, and after accountability, you've got to keep the right focus. You've got to remember that the standard is not the standard of everybody you see around you. The standard is the standard of God because there will be this temptation that while you hear this message today and you think, you know what, Jeff, you're right, I need to get rid of that in my life. Come tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning that desire will lessen unless you keep your focus clearly on the fact that I am going to live, I'm going to set my heart and mind on things that are above. Next, I would suggest you need a change of environments and influences. 
You need to change your environment and influences. You know what? There probably are certain places, certain environments, certain people that cause this to be prevalent in your life more than others. Maybe it's something that you view on the computer. Maybe it's certain things that people encourage you to do. Certain environments that prompt these things. Whatever that is for you, you need to identify that's an environment that needs to change. Those are some people that I need to, as much as possible, stay away from if I'm going to eliminate this in my life. And then lastly, you need to realize the damage. Let me illustrate that this way. If you've ever been out in a, in a boat on the river, out on the Gulf, uh, I can remember when I was a partial owner in a boat, and uh, we would go out on the river, I learned very quickly that when you pass another boat, especially a big one that has created a big wake, there is a certain way that you need to maneuver your boat, otherwise that wake is going to bounce you all over the place. You know, when you take a, a stone and you drop it in the water, what happens? It, it ripples out, doesn't it? Let me ask you, who's on your ripple list? You see, we have this tendency to think that when I am, when sin in my life is beneath the surface, that it's only me that's being damaged. But that's not true. You see, there is a ripple effect into the lives of other people when we are living with sin beneath the surface. It doesn't just damage you. It damages people around you. So who's on your ripple list? If you're struggling with sexual sin, believe me, trust me, it is rippling into the lives of other people. If you are struggling with anger, it is rippling. In fact, probably a lot of times it ends up crashing like a big wave into the lives of other people. If you're struggling with lying, it ripples into the lives of other people. And I know the damage seems like it is beneath the surface, but trust me, the damage is being done. And eventually, you will have to deal with the consequences and the damage that it has caused in your life and in the ripple effect in other people's lives. Unless you deal with it and get it out of your life. Now here's the best thing about cleaning. When you're finished with cleaning, everything feels so good, doesn't it? I mean, when we finish cleaning our office this week, and I walk in now and look around at it, it just feels good. It feels new in a sense. And the same thing happens in our lives. When we deal honestly with these things that Paul has mentioned, when we set our hearts and our minds on things above and we get rid of the trash, I'm telling you, it feels good. It feels new to have those things eliminated from your life. The reality is when they're eliminated, joy returns. Cleansing happens. And it's a good feeling. I'm no expert. Somebody just mentioned to me this week that there is this kind of new trend, uh, maybe new fad kind of thing, where people are doing these seven-day cleanses and 30-day cleanses, uh, ridding your body of all the toxins by drastically changing your diet and changing what you um, drink and over the seven day period it kind of washes all of the toxins away or over the 30 day period and, and sure it has great results and it feels good to have all of that taken out of your body let me challenge you to do something today what if today you decided I'm going to take a to begin with just a seven day cleansing hopefully it will continue to 30 days and the rest of your life but for this moment if you just said I'm going to take a seven day spiritual cleansing and there are some things that we've read about this morning. 
that you would identify and say, that needs to disappear from my life. And so beginning today, and for the next seven days, I am going to work at cleansing that from my body and eliminating that from my body. Just think. Think what could happen. Think what a difference it could make in your life if you deal with these issues and you put them in the trash and you set your heart and your mind on things above. Would you pray with me? God, we have dealt very honestly with some tough issues today. And I know in my life, I can identify some of these that at times I struggle with. God, would you help all of us to, first of all, just be honest enough to admit to ourselves and to others that we need to eliminate these things in our lives. God, would you give us the courage and the perseverance, the tenacity to eliminate them, to get rid of them. God, would You help us to set our hearts and our minds on the things that are of You, the things that are above, and to live, God, by Your standards. God, would You just help us today to begin that cleansing process in our lives to move these things out of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.